This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. It's all an all-pet day here on Creature Comforts. The doors to our pet hospital are wide open. We're looking for your pet questions from the big to the small. Do you have a cat or a dog at home? Maybe you've got both. Do you have a question about getting an exotic pet like a rabbit, snake, or ferret? Don't hesitate to join our conversation by phone or email. And if you have any general wildlife experiences, we always like to hear those, so call in and share. Join the conversation this morning with your phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email animals at mpbonline.org. And if you ever miss the Thursday broadcast of Creature Comforts, it repeats Saturday mornings at 6. So, uh, Dr. Major has yet to call in. We're waiting to get him on the phone. But in the meantime, Libby is here. So, good morning, Libby. How are you doing this morning? Good morning. I'm doing great. So, uh, you said you did a little research on uh, woodpeckers. So, I think maybe we'll start off uh, with talking about that. Um, Yes. Um, Peleated woodpeckers is something that always catch my attention this time of year. And um, I've got them in my woods. In the winter, when the leaves are off the deciduous trees, of course, it's easier to see whatever you're hearing in those woods. And so a lot of times the the woodpeckers are more visible to us. So it's a little bit of um, sometimes a challenge and a lot of fun to figure out which ones you're seeing in which trees and, you know, just kind of what's going on with them. But um, as a group, gosh, woodpeckers, they've got really strong claws use short legs and strong claws so they can cling on the side of a tree because that's pretty vitally important. Strong beaks, of course, because they're um, drilling into a a tree branch or a tree limb or a tree um, trunk for insects. They uh, excavate a hole to nest in so they make it can, you know, they've they've got a real good chisel on their head right there. (laughs) And it's, it's, it's attached to their skull in just kind of a incredible way compared to other birds because, you know, I guess of all the generations of drumming on the tree, they, they've got to really have that. And of course their social life depends a lot on how they can drum because um, that's how they announce their territory and uh, there's some I haven't read as much about attracting mates with woodpeckers but I'm, I feel sure that the drumming has to do because you hear so much of it in the spring when they're looking for mates or reconnecting with a with a longtime mate but anyway pileateds are a great thing to look for and then oh gosh everybody knows I guess the red-headed woodpecker that's a pretty distinctive bird and um Job, I think you've seen some red-headed woodpeckers in some places you've been before. Uh, uh, they're just a great one. Oh, and the one fun, most of our woodpeckers, I think we've got maybe seven species that are here year-round. We can count on always seeing. And uh, But the, the little yellow-bellied sapsucker comes in in the winter. It's very migratory. And so he's here... Uh, um, now, and I've not seen mine yet, but uh, 
really cool thing about the sap suckers is that they're called a sap sucker for a really good reason. They are the one that makes the little row of evenly spaced holes in a tree trunk, and it's designed for the sap to run down. Hmm. Then they can lap up sap, and, of course, anything else that wants a little treat can use their they've, – they've kind of <laughs> made it available for everybody and don't seem to mind when other birds get over there and have a drink of sap. But the sap attracts insects, and in the winter it's harder for a bird that likes insects to find insects. So, you know, giving it a food source, they're, they're kind of farming their insects out there. So they, and again, anybody else that that needs a meal could hang around their little sap holes. I guess it's a lot like human beings when we learn to draw maple syrup out of maple trees. <laughs> they're sapping the tree. And maple is one of the trees that they like to use. I've got a, um, a, a, a tulip poplar in the yard that's just one of my favorite bird trees and the sap suckers have done a good job of making little rows of to make their sap whales is usually what we call it a sap whale uh, what does peleated mean oh well you know i guess i'm gonna have to look the word <laughs> up to me it means a great big <laughs> uh maybe 20 inch woodpecker with a, a red crest on its top it's a uh Gosh, I guess you'd call it a black bird with white markings because most of the color is black, but it's got some really distinctive black markings on it that um, make it pretty hard to confuse with anything else. And I'll have to look up the word peleated. I have no idea. And some people say pileated, and I I found um, both on recordings from, um, from ornithology institutions, so I suppose either is correct. You know, Java, we were chatting before we came on the air. Both you and I have experienced the fact that uh, sometimes woodpeckers aren't necessarily pecking on wood. <laughs> yeah, we um, we kind of shifted our studio from, uh, the, I guess you would say, the back of the building towards the front. But in the back, uh, we would always, or I would always hear this woodpecker banging on that metal light pole, and it just would be going to town. And I was like, what is that noise? And I looked, and it was one of the redheads, uh, very distinct, you know, with the red, white, and blue body, but they would be on that light pole just tap, 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 tap. See, yeah. I think, again, that's like I say, they, they use that bill for a lot of social functions. He, that was, he wasn't looking for any food, obviously, <laughs> yeah, but no. he was telling everybody, this I'm is, here. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, if there was a girl around, maybe he was attracting his and I mate. Would, or, I don't know if it was um, uh, the, the, uh, different rhythms, you know, it may be somebody, you know, if you get deeper into the science of the woodpecker, it may have been picking at different rhythms for different things. Yeah. But, you know, that thing, to me, it's it's interesting that they, I think, and this is speculation, but I think they realize if they're hammering on something metal, it's maybe a louder sound, and so it might give them maybe a higher profile or whatever. Because, like I said, in, at my house, uh, he likes to do it on the downspout of my gutter. So it's it's the same thing. And, uh, like Java said, the first time you hear it, you're like, what the heck is that? And then finally you're like, ah. I was the same way. I was like, I could never figure out what it was. And then, because that thing with birds are, by the time you go to look for them, they're like, I'm out of here. But one time I did see him there, and I thought, okay, that's what it is. Yeah. He's he's uh, he's hammering. Yeah. One of the things about oh, – thank you, Liz. Liz says that, and it makes perfect sense, peleated or pileated, the word means crested. Okay. And that's certainly what he is. Thanks, Liz. <laughs> oh, a caller gave us that. Okay, great. Somebody looked it up real quick. Um, oh, you know, another thing, too, that – 
flickers are bad about getting on metal, like a tin roof or the edge of a tin gutter, something like that. And um, they're really fun to watch. Um, we have the um, yellow shafted flicker in Mississippi, and they've got a neat little mustache. And several of them have a little mustache-looking markings on their face. Uh, we have got Dr. Major on the line. Oh, so that's uh, good morning, Dr. Major. Uh, it's an all-pet day here, and I'd like to take executive uh, privilege, as I call it. A couple of questions. Um, my cat, um, well, first of all, what, what are the, what's the role of whiskers for cats and dogs? You know, that's always been debated uh, as to what it might be. Uh, the cat, I think, especially uses them. There's little feelers. They, kind of, they have very sensitive. And you can watch, and actually the cat can move those whiskers mm-hmm. uh, when it wants to. But I suspect at night uh, they do get some balance with that. Uh, it, and, of course, cats have got good night vision. But uh, as far as dogs and their whiskers, I think they're there. But I can't tell you that there's an action. They come from, you know, all around the lips. Some dogs have more than others, others uh, very few. So... As far as essential, in my opinion, they're not terribly essential. That's based on observation. Um, you know, it's interesting, too, because I think we associate with, especially with cats, you know, right around their face. Uh, but also, my cat, I think, has some on his paws and, and on the top of his head. So if, I think if we all look closely at our pets, we'll discover that they, they have more whiskers uh, than we might than have. we might think. Yeah. 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 Um, well, Libby, I have one question about changing the subject about the uh, woodpeckers making the drilling the little holes. I have one tree uh, down on the farm that literally has, I'd say, tens of thousands. The tree is almost all the little holes, uh, and it's it's amazing that it's that it's a tulip poplar, a fairly large tree, but it has so many holes. It's hard to imagine. That's that's a life work of a bunch of birds. I imagine not just one. But uh, it does attract insects, and, of course, they feed, and other, other birds probably feed on those as well. One other thing from last week, I think we were talking about morning cloaks, one of the most beautiful butterflies that we have, and uh, they tend to hang out around willow trees as much as anything. I only have one in my uh, butterfly collection, but they're very rare here in the south. But that's a beautiful butterfly. Yeah, you know, we we talked a little bit that they um, they kind of like cold weather, and um, willow. That's kind of where I see them too. And I was glad to hear you said that your sapsucker also likes the uh, tulip poplar. Right. So, Doctor Major, one more thing about the whisker. Why I brought it up was I noticed that the cat. He, I don't know if shed is the right word, but I've seen several of them that are like one time he was laying on the bed when he got up. I saw what's that thing? And it's like, oh, gosh, that's one of his whiskers. So it sounds like it's not that of a big of a deal. And it sounds like maybe it'll grow back if, if he needs it, I guess. I, I think he will replace it. We do see whiskers that, that pop off uh, fairly. Uh, I wouldn't say try to pull one off on your cat. You might get in trouble there. But I think they drop off fairly easily and they should replace those. All right, yes. You're right. I think if I tried to do that, I would get a, a swat from, yeah. from a paw. <laughs> I think so, too. 
Uh, we've got some callers lined up, but let's go ahead and take our first break. When we get back, we will have questions from Virgil in Brookhaven, Andrew in Vicksburg, and our friend Kathleen from Osaka. This is a, an all-pet day with Dr. Troy Major on Creature Comforts. Also, Libby's here, and she always likes to hear about your wildlife encounters. So you can call in with questions and comments. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can always send us an email. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Each week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield. If you want to join our conversation with a question or comment this morning, it's an all-pet day, you can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven. 672-7464. Email animals at mpbonline.org. Straight to the phone lines we go. First up, it's Virgil from Brookhaven. Good morning, Virgil. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Yes, sir. My question has to do with wildlife. Uh, back in the early 1900s, they had a disease called bursalosis that was, uh, they thought they had eradicated it, but it's coming back now and it's been shown in parts of the U.S. and elk and wild hogs, and I just wonder whether or not the state of Mississippi has shown any kind of a uh, upswing in that, and, and what should we look for if we do take an animal, whether or not they may have this disease. Virgil, your um, thoughts are close to where mine were, so I visited the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks deer program website this week because I was planning some other shows that we could um, you know what topics we wanted to have and disease was one of those topics and um, I know that um, there are several diseases associated with wild hogs and that's one of the reasons why uh, we've worked so hard to um, control the population of wild hogs on our landscapes and the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks has a great website. And if you drill down and go to the deer program, they have a series of videos even. And they've got a lot of new information about uh, chronic wasting disease. They're always updating those maps and informational areas of their website. So that's where I would say go. Go to the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. And uh, for deer, look at deer. I think there's a wild hog um, button too you can push for programs about wild hog and we'll do some programs in the coming weeks about that brucellosis is a a very uh, important uh, disease to have control of it's a very uh, costly and in livestock and cattle have had it in the past they have eradicated brucellosis in cattle and in mississippi i believe mississippi is still brucellosis free but the wildlife aspect of it is always poses a threat. Uh, and uh, to tell you that you could tell from killing a, a wild hog or uh, deer that it has brucellosis would be very difficult to do. Uh, 
that's uh, that's the main issue that I would have saying that do you have it or not and that would it would require testing to know all right Virgil thanks for your call this is creature comforts on MPB think radio next up Andrew is calling in from Vicksburg good morning Andrew you're on the air with us good morning I was uh hearing y'all talk about the woodpeckers I also want to know if y'all know anything uh like the ivory bill woodpecker is that bird actually extinct or like do they have them in Florida that that's still a debated topic, Andrew. But I think um, most ornithologists have conceded that they probably are extinct in um, North America or in the United States, at least. There's still some ideas that they may be a few in Cuba. Though that was a possibility. That's a little bit different bird, I think, than ours. But it was very similar ivory bill. But um, Time and again, there have been reported sightings, and more often someone's thought they've heard them. And um, so far, you know, through very intensive, lots of man hours, lots of people volunteering to go out in the field and wait for ivory bill woodpeckers, and we've not gotten that definitive proof. So, I, I heard the last sighting was like the swamps over like Shreveport, Louisiana. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and for a little while there were a couple of sightings they were following in Florida and in Arkansas. The very the last recorded with really cool video was um, right across the um, river from Vicksburg. There, the what Singer Sewing Machine Company used to maintain big forests, and they you know machi- sewing machines were a big deal. And uh, every household pretty much had one, and so they built the cabinets and all the wooden parts out of um, hardwood, and they were, I guess, picky enough and concerned enough about the kind of wood they had that they always maintained their own wood lots. And they had a lot of big tree growth, and that's and it was in what so we call the Sanger track hmm. or the Singer track. Some people say it like it's an A, but it's really an, an I, Singer track. And uh, that was the last place that we know we found them. Dr. Lowry, who was from LSU, uh, I guess knew where the birds were, and he's on this old video showing a peleated woodpecker. Yeah, I think I saw the video was like in black and white, like probably nineteen twenty. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's Dr. Lowry. I think he's even shown on there, and it's his voice. But they, so you can both see and hear one. Thank you so much. All right, Andrew. Thanks for calling in. Let's uh, stay on the phone lines. Off to Osaka we go. Kathleen has called in. Good morning, Kathleen. Good morning. I'm actually calling in from the scene of the crime out in my backyard. Uh, <laughs> okay. Every year, I don't know why I like crows. Maybe they're just because they're ornery or funny. I leave little piles of stuff for them in a certain area, whether it be popcorn or this or that. They love popcorn seeds, by the way. And I do it, and they look for it. Well, they come out in the yard, and they're out here now, and I might treat y'all to a crow call if they get close enough. But the other day, they left me a great big red leaf where the pile was. I don't have a, a red tree around here, so it was like, thanks, Mom. <laughs> but I had a guy working for me, and uh, he said, you like crows? I said, yes, I do. I said, they come and visit me. He says, oh, no. I said, yeah. I said, see that one there? I think that's Bob. 
He says, it's Bob. I said, yeah, watch this. Well, I had been calling to the crows every morning for Lord knows how long. And one of them would eventually turn around and see what the heck that was. So I let a big crow call out, and sure enough, one turned around. I said, oh, boy, Bob heard that quick. He goes, Lord, jeez, I can't believe you done talk to that crow. I said, yes, I did. And uh, he said, how'd you name him Bob? I said, well, he, he just seems like he was a Bob to me. You know? <laughs> anyway, I, I never did tell him the difference that all of my co-Bob <laughs> and whoever, whoever turns around gets the game. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Kathleen, thanks for the story. And, you know, crows are really uh, intelligent birds. Yeah, definitely. And there's uh, there's been a good bit of uh, research on crows, actually. We just talked about how most birds don't get any research, but crows, I think, have ca- captured people's attention through the years. And so they've kind of had a relationship with humans for a long time. They're They're smart enough to know that where you find people, you find food, and they like junk food, evidently. They kind of like the same junk foods we like. <laughs> oh, I, I guess my only crow story is I've, we have two fig trees, and I don't mind sharing the figs with birds, but it really – I've gotten mad before that my cardinals will go around and take a bite out of, you know, ten ripe figs <laughs> and ruin all ten of them but not eat one <clears throat> fig. But the, when the crows show up – they go to the very top of the tree, the figs I'm never going to get anyway. And I've only seen this once, though. A crow would actually pick a fig and, like, flip it in the air and then catch it, hmm. whole fig in the mouth. And it was the coolest thing. I saw one crow do it about three times. So, you know, I can't – surely it's not that unique. But I thought that's that's an efficient use of my figs. I'm, I'm all for that. <laughs> Let the crows – have the tall ones and eat the whole thing. This is Creature Comforts. It's an all-pet day with Dr. Troy Major today. So if you have a pet question, give us a call. We've got some open phone lines. The number is one mpb ring It's one 672 A couple of cat emails, Dr. Major. This first one says, our, 12-week, our 12-week-old kitten has no meow even though he tries. Just a raspy hiss-like sound that comes out. He was rescued from a litter of neglected outside cats, so we don't have a history. A vet visit is scheduled, but was wondering your opinion. Well, it's a good question. Uh, actually, uh, we see some, some cats that develop a meow or whatever. As they get older, I would say that give it some time and probably okay. Probably not a real health problem at all. But uh, I would say talk to your vet about it and see what he, has to, or, he or she has to say. But a, a lot of times it would be uh, nice if they didn't meow. <laughs> uh, but uh, that's a, you know I read something not too awfully long ago that said most cats really we meow to our cat more than it meows to us. <laughs> and think about it: the times that you've gone meow meow to your cat, <laughs> and uh, and maybe it might answer, you might not. But they don't use meow communicate as much as we might think they do yeah my cat uh i know that uh, he has this uh, god-awful sound that it feels like i mean it sounds like he's <laughs> just in 
pain or whatever. And I realize it's when he is in another part of the house and I think he's feeling neglected because he knows that I, <laughs> I'm going to say something or go find him or whatever. So, uh, you know, I've mentioned this a number of times on the air. Our, our cats have so got us figured out to where, you know, they are definitely in charge of the house and they pretty much get whatever they want uh, when whenever they want it. So, But it's a lot of fun. But, uh, yeah, this morning he kind of... I think he was hungry because he was on the hall and he looked up with me and he just gave me this meow like, uh, excuse me, it's time for breakfast. So, of course, we <laughs> ran down there and I gave him some food. But it's uh, it's uh, it's interesting being being trained by the cat, that's for sure. Uh, let's go ahead and take another break. When we get back, we got a couple more calls for Dr. Major. This is an all-pet day on Creature Comforts. Uh, you can call in with questions and comments, one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 We do like to hear your wildlife experiences as well. You can always send an email to us. It's animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more after this. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. It's an all-pet day, but we also, as I said before the break, any kind of wildlife experience you'd like to share with us, we always like to hear those as well. We've got some open phone lines if you want to join our conversation. It's 1-877-MPB-RING. 1-877-672-7464. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Kathleen had a crow story, and I think Jr. from Ridgeland has one to add uh, to the mix. Good morning, Jr. You're on the air with us. Good morning, and uh, hello to Libby from Dawn and Jr. Hall. Um, oh, good to we, hear from you. Yeah. Yes, I enjoy listening to the show, and I miss you when you're not on the show, though I love the show whether you're on it or not. Um, Thank you. I lived on the coast for, uh, for four years, and every once in a while we played golf, over at Keesler Air Force Base. And I would, whenever I played golf, I would take a set of nabs, yes, that wonderful word, Nabisco nabs with me. And I, if we rode in a cart, I'd throw them up in the little dash in the golf cart. On two separate occasions and, and a period of time, probably months apart, I'd throw my nabs up in there and I got back in and I couldn't see them. And I looked behind me, and there was a crow packing through those nabs, and they had not been open. He just, he, I guess, I don't know if it was the color or, or, or what, but he knew apparently that people would leave snack food in the golf cart. And, he, and the second time, I actually saw the crow fly in and fly off with my nab. <laughs> I wonder if he threw each one in the air and swallowed it. Yeah. And does he prefer cheese or peanut butter? <laughs> well, his favorite, this, this crow's favorite, if it was the same crow, was the, uh, was the cheese and peanut butter. I mean, the, the one that had the peanut butter in it, the yeah. orange. And it was an orange color, so it probably stood out if he could tell colors. It was obviously a clear distinction between it and the golf cart. But hearing somebody talk about the the crows and befriending crows, uh, 
apparently I was feeding a robber crow every time I played golf. <laughs> and so, yeah. All right. Uh, and, him. Yes, and I, I do I also find them interesting. I'm not... I'm not uh, as drawn to them, perhaps, but I do find them interesting. And, and, and early in the morning, in a cool time of year, when I hear a crow calling, reminds me of my childhood and going hunting with my father out in the woods and stuff. It's a it's a fond memory just to hear the crow call. So, All right, JR, great call. Thanks for calling yep. in this morning, and for, thanks for the kind words about our show. Um, we're going to stay on the phone lines. It's Mikey from Mobile up next. Good morning, Mikey. Well, first of all, Edgar Allan Poe was wrong when he said nevermore, okay? <laughs> uh, and, and Kevin, honey, uh, you're a great guy, but you're, you're being very well trained just like the rest of us, okay? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, now, uh, I, my questions are regarding citrus and rodents. Um, that's why I'm saying like the rest of us. Um, and this is just an observational thing. I have a couple of things I'm going to present, two questions. First of all, I've noticed that, the, uh, you know, it's citrus season here in Mobile. So a lot of people have lemon trees and sapsima trees and kumquats and limes and all kinds of things, blood oranges all coming in. Um, but I, it just it just dawned on me this morning that um, uh, nobody – Seems to. I haven't really noticed that they attack the citrus fruit or trees like um, tomato, like they would tomato plants. Sometimes, even you know, they leave them alone more like they would leave most pepper plants alone. Although I have had them mess with those too. And my the second part of my question is if they um, divert if they are diverted by the scent of citrus. Obviously, the crows ain't diverted by the color, are they, from just the last caller saying, you know, the orange. Um, but if they are diverted by the scent of the citrus, do, do citrus ingredients and things that you put on your pets to deter fleas, ticks, etc., cetera, um, create a problem for your pets? And I, I'm sorry I've been so long, and so I'll hang up and listen. And thank y'all all so much for such a great show. <laughs> all right. Thanks for the call, Mikey. So any thoughts on why rodents would not go after the citrus trees? I, well, since Mikey called right before the break and I could see what she was talking about, I did look that up online. But, you know, how it is when you look something up online. So I got some things on both sides. Some things say that. Rats and mice love citrus. Some pe- some things said that they seem to possibly be repelled by the smell, and that people who raise rats and mice professionally avoid feeding them citrus because they believe there's something in the citrus pill that can be detrimental to rats and mice. So, I you know I couldn't find anything definitive. Uh, I'd like to hear what Troy has to think about that, what Troy thinks about right. it. Right. You know, that's that's an interesting thing, and I don't know a lot about the effect on individual mice or rats. I suspect if they're hungry, they're going to attack most anything. Uh, I would say that minimal, and it may be an individual thing, you know, just like we have personal taste. As far as the citrus on pets to repel fleas, that would be the very best that it could do. It's not going to kill them. Uh, that's that's one of the problems there. They're all kind of home remedies for fleas, but you can certainly have uh, 
uh, flea infestation is resist most of those natural type uh, products. So I would say probably not a good repellent or good killer for fleas. Uh, there are other things that could be used. But uh, interesting topic, I guess, about the rats and mice. I do think they will eat whatever they can if they are in need of food. Yeah, my only un- totally uneducated thought would be that the the skin of the citrus fruit would be like maybe it's harder to get into a lemon than it would be like a tomato or something. But I, I agree with Dr. Major that if, you know, all of us, if we're, if we're hungry enough, we'll do things uh, that we probably wouldn't do otherwise. So um, good call, Mikey. Uh, let's get one email in and then a couple more phone calls. Um, this one says, I have a kitten that scratches and bites uncontrollably. When we spray him with water, it doesn't work. How can we train him not to or will he grow out of it as he gets older? Good question, and it's a good problem, and it's a real problem as well. I wonder how old that kitten is. When they say kitten, uh, uh, you know, you don't really know how old a cat is that they're talking about. We find in a lot of cases, we find in a lot of cases that kittens that are raised even either as orphans or taken away from their litter early, and they have no siblings for one reason or another, these kittens don't understand the give and take of rough play, uh, biting, scratching. Whereas if they have a sibling or something about their same age or even older, they learn that, hey, if you bite me, I'm going to get you back. So, <laughs> and that is a problem. A lot of times they do not outgrow it. Uh, and when I'm saying that, they don't outgrow it. Uh, we see adult cats that have been raised singly. Uh, that will attack visitors, uh, the owner, sometimes for no apparent reason. So I, I would say, if possible, and you can do it, get another kitten about the same age and let them kind of work that out. Yeah, uh, that's interesting because that was the case of, of my cat. I, he was rescued uh, out in front of the building here, so he was abandoned, I think, and, and he was a big biter and scratcher when he was a kitten. He still is. We still play. I think he. it's interesting. I think you can tell the difference between when it's playfulness and when he gets kind of irritated at me and really gets mad. Uh, but yeah. in my case, uh, he, he, he did grow out of it. So to the emailer, um, you know, work with your vet. But there is hope that as he gets older, he'll he'll be calmed down just a little bit. We've got some phone calls to get to. So let's start again with uh, Bill in Mer- uh, Meridian. Go ahead, Bill. You're on the air with us. Yes, sir. Uh, how are you this morning? I enjoy your show. Thanks. I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about woodpeckers and their feeding habits. I know that most people don't regard them as seed eaters, but they will eat sunflower seed. A friend of mine feeds uh, birds on his porch rail every day, and woodpecker will come down and take a sunflower seed, fly up into the tree, stuff it, I guess, in a little hole or something, and then peck it till he can get the seed out. He doesn't crack it like other birds do. The other thing I wanted to mention was uh, to ask a question about is fox squirrels. I used to see fox squirrels quite a bit, but I haven't seen any just out in, I don't know how long, several years. There is one place where I know you can get a good look at them, and that's at the uh, Robert Trent Jones Golf Course in Dothan, Alabama. They have probably 
two dozen of them that just mill around the golfers. Uh, they're completely habituated, and you can you can look at them all you want to. But I was just wondering if they've had, if there's been a decline, or am I just not seeing them? Yeah, I think maybe you're just not in the woods as often to see them because um, the populations are still doing well and there's still a, a, a squirrel season. And, um, yeah, I think they're around pretty pretty much. Um, though, interesting, you say we, where I live, I think the, the fox squirrels were, were very rarely seen, I think because they'd been overhunted, really. And... Uh, we just very seldom ever saw one, and then it got to the point we never saw them and only had chipmunks, no squirrels. And very recently now we've started having just the little gray squirrels, you know, what we think of as city squirrels. But um, I thought that was odd that the the fox squirrels were kind of replaced by gray squirrels, but maybe our really part of the county is getting a little more developed than it used to. I always Maybe. Associate, associate gray squirrels with people. Yeah, Troy. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I understand that the fox squirrels are somewhat migratory, and uh, they move move from one area to another, especially if they are along the river or rivers. A lot of times they will head to the hills, move out of the uh, low-lying areas. So I think uh, somebody uh, on the program mentioned that at one time, that fox squirrels were uh, migratory. Yeah, it seems like they, they they moved for food sources, didn't they? I think right. that's what they were talking about. Yeah, and right. it may be that uh, if you find good acorn trees, Bill, you'll find fox squirrels would be my guess. All right, Bill, appreciate your call. Let's uh, stay on the phone lines. Uh, off to Gaucher next with Robert. Good morning, Robert. You're on the air. Yeah, <clears throat> I, I was thinking of this story where I, I was in Thailand, and me and my friends were walking down the street. And I just turned around to talk to one of my friends, and I was looking eye-to-eye with a giant eyeball, and it was an elephant. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> some, guy, some guy just had an elephant. He was walking down the street, you know, with, with bundles of sugar cane that you could buy and feed to the elephant. And uh, I remember thinking, like, how crazy that was, you know. <laughs> like, just imagine walking down the street in, in, in the States, you know, and just some guy walking an elephant, you know, right. down. Yeah, that's a pretty <laughs> cool wildlife sighting. That's a really cool wildlife sighting. Did you I buy some? Did you buy sugar cane and feed it? <laughs> I sure, I sure did. Yeah, I would too. Yeah, and uh, you know, I the thought that was the, uh, yeah. you know, elephant. One, one of the crazy stories I have about animals, you know, in my travel. Go ahead, Doctor Major. Elephants in Thailand. Uh, I, one of the movies, and it's true. In Bangkok, uh, they actually, some of the elephants have turn indicators on the rear end, uh, and they're fairly common. And one of the things that's kind of distressing is why a lot of the elephants in northern uh, Thailand, uh, the logging industry, teak logging industry, has been pretty much shut down, and they have these huge camps with a lot of the elephants probably suffering from that because they were used they were very uh, eco-friendly, if you will, moving through the forest, uh, not tearing up a lot. And uh, actually had the opportunity at one time to go to one of the uh, camps, and they were trying to take care of the elephants as best they can. It's the only time I've ever ridden an elephant, uh, which was a unique experience. 
Yeah, I, I say, Doctor Major, that is that's amazing. I'd, I'd love to be able to do that. And Robert, a, a great story, as we say. Imagine turning around and seeing that because I'm a big <laughs> zoo fan, and I know when uh, get to the elephant uh, area, I can just watch those uh, guys for for just you know minutes on end and and uh, enjoy the zoo, and certainly look forward to to the elephant uh, experience there. We're going to stay on the phone lines for one full final call before our last break, and it's Mary in Oxford. Good morning, Mary. Go ahead. Good morning. You were speaking of rats and citrus. My son lives in Orlando, has lived there for decades, and had a wonderful heritage grapefruit tree that the rats lived in and around us and finally just killed it. So I don't know that they're afraid of citrus. No, that doesn't sound like it, does it? (laughs) All right, Mary, thanks for calling in. This is Creature Comforts. Time for the last break of the hour. It's an all-pet day today. You still have a little bit of time to work in a call about your pet for Dr. Major. Libby's on hand. We'd like to hear brushes with wildlife as well. Give us a call. It's 1-877-MPB-RING, 1-877-672-7464. You can always send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more after this. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing the leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. Still a little bit of chance to join the conversation. If you move quickly to the phone, call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 If you missed any of today's show, you can subscribe to the Creature Comforts podcast. Just use your favorite podcasting app and search for Creature Comforts. Or better still, download the MPB Public Media app. You can listen to all of the local MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. There's a way to watch MPB TV on that app as well. It's been an all-pet day, and we've had some great animal stories as well, and I think John wants to tell us another one. Good morning, John. You're on the air with us. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, I'm a retired electrical engineer, and I worked at an engineering firm in Little Rock, Arkansas, and the uh, firm was located in an office complex that was about eight or ten stories tall, all plate glass windows, of course, and they had a considerable pond outside with a walking track around it with picnic benches and so forth and i was walking around at lunch one day and there's two swans that were in the the pond a larger one and a smaller one well they came up closer to the shore and i guess the female swan may have been pregnant or something but that male swan came up out of the water had like a six-foot wingspan it started hitting, poking me in the chest. I mean, honestly. and I had this swan by the throat. Now, I'm sure people were looking out the office window. <laughs> swan in the chokehold, and I'm sure I'm going to get animal rights activists calling me. But, I mean, I didn't know what to do, you know, but I finally got away from it, and that, that's my swan story. Oh, that's a good one, John. I, you should not have been looking at that girl swan the way you were. Um, I've heard that swans can be very aggressive to people. Geese certainly can be. So, I, yeah, yeah I had they're, a, they're ter- territorial. Uh, you were infringing on its space, I guess. And some of them just have a bad attitude. The same thing is true with the barnyard turkeys. 
uh, I've been chased out of barnyards before by uh, a large turkey, and they can do some damage if you don't get out of the way. And uh, I would say that swans have a reputation uh, for that. All right, John, thanks for the phone call. Good to hear from you. Here's another email for you, Dr. Major. This one says, I have two male dogs, a miniature dachshund, and a German Shepherd Doberman mix. Would it create a problem between the dogs as far as getting along and things like that if we had the dachshund neutered but not the German Shepherd? I can't foresee it being a problem uh, to do that, uh, and I guess there's a reason they don't want to neuter the German Shepherd, but it should not cause a problem uh, with the two dogs, okay? Would you recommend that both dogs, I mean, would there be a reason why they would not get the, the, the German Shepherd neutered? Well, they might want to actually uh, breed the dog. It's mm-hmm. a possibility. And there's controversy over when to neuter and when not to neuter, and some people are just opposed to it. Usually it's the men that are more opposed to it than, than the women uh, about neutering the dog. Women have no problems with saying <laughs> neuter that dog play the female, but a lot of men object to uh, having a dog neutered. That, that's there's, an, there's, there's, there's a tie in there. I was going to say, that's an interesting observation that we could probably spend a whole show talking about. Right. <laughs> right. Got, got another email here. This one is, my vet says that in her experience, white dogs in Mississippi suffer from allergies more than dogs of any other color, no matter the breed, Bichons, Poodles, Mutts, etc. Some symptoms are itchy ears, black discoloring on an otherwise pink stomach, runny eyes, etc. Have you seen this and any comments on that observation? That is interesting to uh, you know think about it, uh, especially the outside dogs probably have more of an issue if they're light-colored. Uh, sun, uh, just like in people, sun can be an issue with some of the dogs. As far as allergies, I, I would have to say that somebody needs to do a study on that to say that the white dogs are more prone to uh, allergies than, say, a brown dog or a black dog even. But uh, in her observation, I certainly can understand that because we do see a lot of issues. But it seems like ear issues, uh, skin issues are pretty much across the board with all breeds. Here's one, uh, another email. This one says, I saw an article about Joro spiders, J-O-R-O, in uh, North Georgia. They remind me of a walk we took many years ago from the Mays Lake campground up to the Science Museum. We saw these large green and yellow spiders in huge webs everywhere in the woods along the trail. Are they the same kind of spider, and were the Joro spiders in Mississippi before they were in Georgia? Let's uh, both talk about that. Dr. Major, your thoughts first. What little I know about the Joro, I guess that's how you pronounce it, spiders, uh, one of the worst things about them, they're very prolific web builders, and uh, some stories of people that have been almost unable to go out of their house, uh, the front porch would be covered in webs, something like the spiders were trying to encase the house. But uh, they're, you know, to tell you that uh, they're in Mississippi, I have not read a report that those particular spiders, however... Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Olivia, you can correct me. They're one of the orb-type spiders and very prolific as far as web building. Yeah, I've not heard of them being here either, but they do. They look like um, the uh, the one that I usually call a yellow garden spider. They look very similar. And um, Now, are they golden web, too? I'm not sure. 
We'll try to do a little more research on that, but I don't, I've not heard of them being here. The one that they called Joro, yeah. All righty. Uh, let's wrap things up with one final email. This one says, our daughter's never owned a dog, so she decided to begin by fostering one. She recently took in an 11-year-old healthy, sweet, playful Maltese who'd never been neutered. He came from an abusive situation. She adores the dog, but he whines and barks when she goes to work. Her landlord has told the daughter that the dog must go if she can't find a solution to the problem. The daughter wants to adopt a sweet little fellow, but she's concerned that no one else will take him at his age. Any suggestions about trying to control uh, his behavior when she leaves? Excellent question. It's a question that a lot of people would have. I would say that uh, it's very difficult to control a dog this age or change its habits. It sounds like he's bonded to her or at least is separation anxiety uh a lot of people don't like the idea but there are some medications that might be able to help in this situation uh i don't think neutering a dog at this age will change things a whole lot and she may not have asked that question but at the same time she needs to talk to someone if she's planning on keeping the dog about the possibility of uh, some medication that would help uh with this anxiety and uh good luck to her i it sounds like she's attached to the dog. I was thinking that, you know, there's that tech where you can uh, get the thing where you have an app on your phone and maybe talk to your dog while you're at work. She might maybe give that a try and, and see if modern technology might help. That is going to wrap Good us point. up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Funding provided in part by listeners like you. If you want to hear today's show or a previous show, you can go to mpbonline.org slash creaturecomforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Liz Gill. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, I'm Kevin Farrell. Up next, it's AutoCorrect. We'll be back next Thursday at 9. For another Creature Comforts, it's heard only on MPB Think Radio.